Thanks for listening to the Campus Collective Podcast. As always, we pray that this resource is a helpful supplement for you as a follower of Jesus and as an active member in your local church. We love God's design for His church, and we believe that this resource could never substitute the incredible things that come from active involvement with a community of believers. Campus Collective is a ministry of Huntington Community Church. To learn more, visit our website at HuntingtonCommunityChurch.com. I am so excited um, to walk through uh, this book of the Bible with you here um, with Campus Collective. We are going to take the entire semester to walk through this book. So by the time you all are finished with finals, we will have finished Colossians all the way through this incredible book of the Bible. And if you need notes and titles, the title of this series is Colossians, original, right? Colon, the image of the invisible God. The image of the invisible God. God. And like I said, we're going to take an entire semester to walk through this book with a few exceptions. The first exception being a panel. I can't remember if we mentioned these or not, um, but these are really exciting Tuesdays um, where we kind of take a break from the uh, two-song sermon, two-songs kind of rhythm, and we talk about a difficult topic um, kind of as a literal panel with couches up here, and we just kind of discuss. And this year, this semester's panel is going to be on how the gospel engages social media And so we're going to be talking about what does that look like? Can a Christian be faithful on social media? Um, How can a Christian be faithful if they are going to engage with that? Should be a really good um, panel. The other exception being we'll take a break, um, uh, at least for for my sermons, we'll take a break from the book of Colossians and do a sermon on death. So that will be a lively Tuesday, um, and I'm excited to see what the Bible would have to say for that. So hopefully you have already found Colossians 1. Let me give you a, a few things about just Colossians in general to kind of set us up with the framework of what God might have for us um, in this. Um, as I said, we're taking the whole year or the whole semester to go through this, and the way that we do things at Campus Collective and HCC is we walk straight through books of the Bible. So we're going to go phrase by phrase, verse by verse, and just beg the Lord to show us the glory of Jesus in these texts. And you need to know something, that people here, if this is your first time, the people that come regularly are not here to hear from me. We are absolutely convinced that I actually have nothing good to say to you. Um, I'm not a motivational speaker. I'm not here to entertain you. We believe that The verses in Colossians are actually words from God. Can you believe that? We're going to hear from God. And you need to hear this. This can change your life forever. The image of the invisible God that Colossians talks about is Jesus Christ. We believe that he came to earth, died for us, rose again to restore us back to God. And what we're going to do in this series is Colossians will be a week after week after week after week reminder of reminding us of Jesus, who he is, and what he has done, and inviting us all over again to keep responding to that man. Um, So, a few historical context, just so you know. The letter of Colossians is written by a guy named Paul. As we'll see in verse 1, Timothy is also given credit um, for authorship. Most scholars would say that Timothy probably kind of operated as maybe Paul's secretary or someone who helped him, but um, the consensus is that Paul wrote this while he was in prison. Um, This church in Colossae got started during his third missionary journey, and now what we have here is what God was saying to these people through the Apostle Paul, which means this is for Christians in the room. 
These New Testament letters are designed to show us what life should look like in response to the fact that Jesus died and rose again. But even if you're not saved, I want to talk to you for a minute. If you don't, haven't followed Jesus, or maybe you just have kind of a facade of Christianity, you just kind of check the not atheist box and you're assuming that means Christian, you're still hearing from God. There are truths here in Colossians 1 Without the Holy Spirit, without loving the God of Colossians, you won't have these truths explode with joy in your soul because you don't know the God of this book. But as we look through these verses tonight, my plea with you is that you would come follow Jesus. And we have a lot of fun ahead of us tonight. I, I literally, we have nothing better to do. It's probably gonna flood us in, this building, right? So we can, um, we can stay here and just hang out in these first 14 verses, but I want you to imagine, I'm about to read this, this is a church that was planted on the front lines of gospel advancement in the whole world, and now they are getting a letter from their planter, their founder, to us so that we might receive this and see what it looks like to live in response to Jesus, okay? So with all of that in mind, that triple-tiered introduction, all right, verse one, let's read this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance with patience and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we ask right now, that you would take Colossians 1 and, and plant it deep in us, Lord, that, that we might be people who sing louder and use our lives for this kingdom that cannot be stopped and cannot be shaken. Um, so God, do a work tonight. I pray that people leave here um, overwhelmed by your love that you have for us in Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Okay, so the title of this sermon is Transferred, obviously taken from verse 13, if you caught that. There's a reality at the end of the, this passage that would change everything for you. Namely, if you are in Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are in a new kingdom. You were an enemy of God in the losing kingdom, and now, if you're in Christ, you have been transferred. So this kingdom talk, let me define it for you. When we say kingdom of God, what we mean is the reign and rule of God in the hearts of the people of God. And that's happening right now. But it's not just something that a present reality. When we're talking about kingdom of God, we also mean a coming kingdom that will one day end all evil and suffering and sin forever. But for now, we live in the now and not yet of the kingdom. We operate in the kingdoms of this world, whether that's the kingdom of 
the United States of America, the Kingdom of Marshall, the Kingdom of Appalachia, whatever one you identify with the most, we operate in these kingdoms now, yet our allegiance is to a different king. But something else about this transferred is we did not deserve it. We get transferred because Jesus of who Jesus is and what he has done. And we're gonna land the sermon there, but before we do that, we need to work our way all the way through this. So we're gonna see realities of what it looks like to live out the implications of this kingdom that we are now a part of, if you're a follower of King Jesus. And if you're not, what you're gonna watch unfold in the glories of his word tonight. So let's look at verse one and two. Starts out this letter and says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God. Our Father. So we meet our two authors, as I mentioned earlier, Paul and Timothy. If you remember, it's likely that Timothy operated as Paul's secretary or, or a helper. So most scholars claim that Paul is the primary author of this letter. But before we look at how Paul describes himself, I want to remind you, um, just by way of reminder, of who Paul is. If one of our guiding themes for tonight is celebrating the fact that we've been transferred to a new kingdom, then Paul's life is a great example of what happens when King Jesus interrupts someone in the mess of their own sin. So if you're not familiar with your Bibles, you need to know that before Paul was a pastor, church planter, follower of Jesus at all, he hated Christians. He was a religiously motivated killer of Christians. But in Christ, in the kingdom that we are a part of, what matters is who Jesus is and what he has done, not what you have done and who you have been. You need to hear that right off the bat. I'm assuming, it's an assumption, but that none of you here are coming here with plans to harm any of us, right? I'm assuming that you're not. But even if you are coming here thinking that you are the worst of sinners, that you are someone who does not even deserve to be in the presence of God, that you don't even deserve to walk into a church building, you need to understand that the good news is that you actually don't. But because of Christ and who he is and what he has done, you can be transferred and it has nothing to do with the sin and shame that you brought in here. All about Jesus and what he has done and who he is. So literally, as Paul is on his way to kill more Christians, Jesus shows up. Paul sees the glory of Jesus, the horror of his own sin, and he's transferred into this kingdom that we are talking about. Consider, just right now, that love and that grace. If you trust in him, you are saved no matter what. You can be transferred from your little kingdom that is killing you anyways to the kingdom of Jesus where grace and love rule the day. And that's the author of this letter. So when he's writing these things about the glory of God's grace, he's coming as someone who knows the depth of it. And I know in a room this size, there are some of you that are, are here and you feel completely like you do not. Well, that's all right. I'm going to scoot this over. That's going to happen again. Okay. You, you do feel. You feel this. Maybe you messed up that one sin you said you would never do again. You did it last night. You did it today. Still carrying that bitterness or, or shame or whatever you want to put in that category. But you don't feel worthy. And I think just the fact that a former Christian killer is writing about the grace and peace of God should give you hope tonight. Let's see what he says about himself. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at 
Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Now, a few definitions here for you. Apostle literally means sent one. But in this context, and you'll hear this, the office of apostle, so we'll say capital A, apostle, was an office for those who saw the resurrected Jesus and was given special authority to speak and write on his behalf. Okay, those are not around anymore. All right, we don't have any capital A apostles. But for our application purposes, we can think of a sent one as missionaries. Or, if you want to get really technical, as all of us. Do you realize that as a follower of Jesus, you are a sent person? It's not a matter of if you are called to be sent, but a matter of are you being faithful to where you've been sent right now? So for those of you in your majors or in your, where, you know, maybe you've never even thought that you would end up in Huntington or at Marshall, if you're here, that means you were sent here by God. So it's not a question of have you been sent, it's will you be faithful? Now, I pray that from this church and this ministry, we see many of you say yes to taking your life and uprooting it and going to the nations. But for our application purposes right now, just understand, it's not a matter of if you've been called or sent. If he saved you, he's sending you. He's sending to you into the classes you were in today and the classes you will be in, that student group that you joined or that team that you're on, whatever you want to say. It's sent. It's a reality for us. And just like Paul, it is by the will of God. Now, Timothy was a convert in Paul's ministry and entrusted by him to lead a church. We already see discipleship at work, but I want you to notice what he calls Timothy. He calls him brother. In other letters, he'll literally call him son. The church is a family on mission, and by God's grace, that's what we can be here. One last thing in the introduction that I want you to see is who this is written to. So it says, to the saints and faithful brothers at Colossae, the main point that I want you to see here is that this letter was written to faithful people. Isn't that interesting? You would think if there was a letter about correcting theology, and there is some whack theology going on at Colossae, we'll get to that, I think it might be Anthony in like week 11 or something, I don't remember when he's preaching that, but there is some stuff that needs fixed at Colossae. But it's interesting that this is written to the faithful ones, just for us, that even the most faithful among us need reminded of gospel truths. So it's a challenge for us right now to not get bored of these things. It's so easy for us to get comfortable in our own version of faithfulness when in fact, every time you hear the gospel, it's a call to go deeper and deeper with Christ. And then Paul concludes the introduction, just a reminder that grace and peace come from God alone. This isn't your worldly superficial peace, this is real peace that is for us, purchased for us by Christ. And don't just write that off either. There is actual peace available for you, not in cleaning up your own life, but in the rawness of the actual grace found in the gospel of Jesus. So let's see what he's gonna say. I wish we had hours, but we only have two hours in this sermon tonight. Um, kidding. Um, it takes me about 12 weeks to warm up with jokes up here. I'm not good at them normally. So that's, that is, believe it or not, that was my attempt at a joke. Okay. Verse three, here we go. So we see the content of this letter. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we, highlight word for you, pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. So what we, what we see off the bat is Paul prays for these people. And when he does, he always thanks God for them. So it's worth pausing for you who claim Christ. Did you know that your prayer life is really the true test of your spirituality? Did you know this? 
As one author says, the infallible test of spiritual integrity, Jesus says, is your private prayer life. You could tell a lot about your life with Christ by how you pray, or maybe how you don't pray, or what you pray for. Think about it. The essence of friendship and relationship is communication. I can't assume that Courtney and I, my wife, are close if we don't communicate, or if I just use a list to talk with her. Can you imagine? If I wake up in the morning, I pour a cup of coffee, and I say, Cor, if you could come in here real quick, I've got my five minutes with you today. I'd like to tell you things that I'm thankful for about you. Then I would like to ask you a few things. Then I would like for you to bless my day. I don't know, whatever you want to say there. All of you are laughing because you know that's ridiculous. So embedded in these divinely inspired verses, we get a glimpse of what an actual healthy prayer life looks like. And there's connections for us in our own life for Christ. Paul prays prayers of thankfulness because he has heard of their faith and love. Listen, he's not thankful because of what they can do for him. He's not thankful about the fact that his personal brand is bigger and better now. He is thankful that their lives are making much of Jesus. It's worth asking, can we get there as a people? Be honest, have you ever prayed in thankfulness for people that you're not with? What about just praying thankfulness for your actual friends? I would venture to say, if you're anything like me, there's a lot of you in here that claim you have friends. I don't mean that as a jab, I'm saying you, you probably do have friends. But I'm assuming that you couldn't tell me ways that you would pray for them specifically. So what does that mean? If we can't do that, we either don't understand prayer or we don't understand relationship. It's the same for us and Jesus. It's what this looks like in the kingdom. We are people who pray. Prayers of thankfulness for people, why? Not because of what they can do for us, but because of how Christ is working in them. So the truths in this prayer of thankfulness for us, notice something here. The power of these words are in their meaning and the reality that they invite us into. So let's look, if you notice, what he's thanking for. Um, we always thank God when we pray for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints. So for our purposes right now, we need to define faith and love. This is what he's thanking them for and what we want to be invited into as followers of Christ. We gotta ask these questions. So when the Bible's talking about faith, it is not talking about intellectual assent. We are not talking about simply accepting facts about Jesus. In fact, if you are someone who's, if your faith life ends at I believe that God exists, James 2.19 would say that you have demon level faith. All of us would agree we don't wanna be on that team especially if we claim to follow Christ. So what is faith? If it's not just believing the right things, it's not just intellectually ascending to proper thoughts about God, what is it? I believe the Bible makes it clear that faith is the trust, um, absolute trust in God, but also seeing Jesus as your savior, your Lord, and your treasure. It means that you have turned from being your own savior, being your own Lord, being your own treasure that you trust that Jesus' death and resurrection was not just for you, but instead of you. And when you say by faith that Jesus is Lord, what you mean is that I live my life to obey him. And then when you say Jesus is treasure, you are saying he is the all-consuming passion of your life. And listen, that is much more than repeating a prayer or agreeing to a new set of beliefs. 
It involves prayer and believing facts about Jesus, but it is mostly spiritual seeing Jesus as who he is in light of your sinfulness. That's faith. If we define love, love is only really possible in Christ. I believe that one way to biblically define love is using your life for the good of others at the cost of your own self. You're loving people when you say that your needs are more important than my needs, and that sounds crazy in today's culture. My goodness, we love self. But the love we're called to is your needs over mine, which is why we need Jesus. And Paul is thankful that he sees this in these people, their faith in Christ, treasuring him above all things, and the hope that they have, the love that they have for all the saints. Quick note here, notice that he does say all the saints, not just the ones that you like, not just the ones that are in your friend group, not just the ones who agree with you about everything. He says they have love for all of the saints. The biblical call for love does in fact extend to all people, even enemies, but right now there's a special thankfulness that Paul is expressing for the way the people of God love each other. And Jesus reinforces this when he tells us that literally the love that we have for each other will show off who he is to a watching world. Do you realize that? Loving your brother and sister is ministry, (laughs) showing off the glory of the kingdom we are a part of. So in this text, we see these realities, this, this love, this faith, are in these people and, by God's grace, will be in us. Look at the, the grammar here. So important that we see this. I think it's next, next slide, I think. Yeah, perfect. Look at verse five. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. So we have to ask, how does hope fuel faith and love? And I'll This is a plug for the podcast, of course, but we do go deeper into this when some of the extra teaching that we have on this book. But you need to understand that hope has power when that hope is in Christ. When we as Christians say that we hope, we are not just saying we hope so. It is a rock-solid assurance that is so true that we can live as if it's, it's happening right now. So what is our hope? That one day the same Jesus who saved us is coming back to get us that all sin will actually be gone. Listen, there will actually be a time when you never struggle with anxiety or depression again. (laughs) Do you realize that? There will be a last time. And I know it feels crippling right now. And I know you might limp in here with all kinds of things where you're like, there is no way I can be free from this. And it might last another 50 years. I wish I could promise you that it'll go away. But if we bank our lives on this hope, we may limp for 50 years, but we will run for 50 trillion years forever with Jesus. And that is a reality we have right now. It's not a hope so. It's not a wish dream. If you're a follower of Christ, you are saying, I am all in for that hope. All shame will be gone. All suffering will be gone. Pure joy forever with Jesus. The hope that is in heaven, and heaven is going to come to earth. And so because of that, we trust him. And because of that trust and that hope, we love each other. We know we're going to win. We know that we're going to be whole one day. And it is so true that we can live in that reality right now. So what does that mean for us as Christians? Because all your longings will be fulfilled, you can love people instead of using them. Because everything will be made new one day, you can be freed from considering yourself above others. You imagine how beautiful this would be? 
Can you imagine a life of someone who's so convinced that their hope is true that they look at you and they are completely selfless? Imagine how freeing that would be. There's no concern for what people might think of you because your hope is guaranteed. And Paul is thankful that these people live this way, and by God's power, you can live that way too. We gotta keep going, verse five. So it says, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. So of this, meaning the hope that we have laid up for us. We have heard this before in the word of truth, this something that is so sure, my, it's not my truth or your truth, but it is the truth. Every year, I feel like I need to talk about this thing that apparently has been around a long time, but I just heard about it, so you can chuckle if you want. But this idea that there is something known as my truth. Y'all heard this? Is it still around? People still say that? Okay, at least for seven of you. Um, Guys, I, I love you. That, that is a lie. <laughs> Reject it. It is not good for your life in Christ to live your life by your truth. And it makes me so sick when I see this play itself out in our lives. Because if we just convince ourselves that it's our truth instead of the truth, what we do is align our entire lives to things that are actually killing us. And so what is this truth? The gospel. It's worth stopping here to make sure we all understand what I'm talking about when we say gospel. And part of what we need to do in sermons is to clarify the gospel over and over again, not just so we don't forget, but so that you won't get bored of it. So here it is. The gospel is the good news of what God has done for us in Jesus. You need to understand on your own, when you're born, you are naturally hell-bent on worshiping yourself over God. And this can look like rebellion, or it can look like religion. Did you know that? You can worship yourself with your good deeds. And what the Bible makes clear is that all people fall short of what God expects. And we're born this way. I've got a two-year-old and a nine-month-old, and I did not have to teach them to lie to me. <laughs> it's amazing. Like, Duke is adorable, and he's two, and he's already lying to me like trying to trick me, <laughs> which like is insulting on one level, but it's also devastating. Like, you know I didn't like scold him for telling the truth. And I'm like, you really need to like, come on man, be like the rest of the world, start out sinful. This is something that is hardwired in all of us, and sometimes it looks like rebellion, and sometimes it looks like religion, but the Bible makes it plain. The truth about people is that apart from God, we are sinful and we have no shot of getting to God. But in the perfection of who God is, he sends his only son, Jesus, to come die for us instead of us. Jesus, who was perfect, died because of our sin. On the third day, rose again so that sin and death could be defeated for all who believe. And this is the news where your life can get its stability and purpose, and how you respond to that news is the defining decision of your life. So the gospel news is where our hope becomes a rock-solid thing instead of a hope-so. As sure as it is, as Jesus is alive, is as sure as we can be that he is coming back. And it's not just news to believe. It is power for everyday life and ministry. Look at the next verse. This gets so good. Verse 6. Which has come to you. So quick pause. I know there shouldn't be a lot there on that phrase, but I want to say something. Notice that the gospel has come to them. How does the gospel come? Through the proclamation of the good news and the demonstration of good works. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have good news to share and you have good deeds to do. So listen to me, through you all, the gospel has come to Marshall. It's come. 
There are people in this room right now that claim Jesus as king, and you need to understand, God is working through you. If he put you in that class or in that position or in that organization, the gospel is coming. We just have to open our mouths and open our lives. Let's not keep this news to ourselves. Look what verse six continues, though. As indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you. So notice what is happening here. The gospel comes and takes over a place, and it's also a part of a global movement. When the gospel is bearing fruit and increasing in people and in a place, lives are being healed, addictions are broken, people are loved, sin is forgiven. This is what we long for, which I have to ask you, do you believe this can really happen? Do you know that? The gospel can really increase and bear fruit on our campus and in our city. But for this to happen, we have to be the type of men and women who deeply love the gospel. We have to long for this and pray for this and beg God to do this among us. This can actually happen during your time at Marshall. I want you to dream about that for our campus. Can you imagine a people so radically committed to the gospel that people can't help but say, Jesus is real. I might not believe in him, but I know they do. That's what can happen as the gospel bears fruit in us. Let's continue. So that, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. This is very important. This is not a whipped up emotional, inspirational talk. It is news that is heard and understood by the grace of God. Do you get that? It doesn't say that, that since the day that you got excited about it and then once things got hard, you forgot it. It's since you heard it, understood the grace of God in truth truth. So you need to understand that truth really does matter. We are just begging that God would set that truth on fire in our hearts in a way that overflows into a passionate life of love for other people. And I want to tell you, you can actually leave here tonight deciding that's how you want to live. You can do it. Let's keep going. Verse 7. It's one of my favorite People in the whole Bible, verse seven, just as you learned it from Epaphras. I love him, but we are not gonna get to him again until uh, chapter four, which is a bummer, and also, I'm not preaching that sermon, which is a double bummer, but Luke will do a great job. But I love Epaphras. Look what we learned about him. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. So we get a name drop of a guy named Epaphras, I, um, there will be an article about him in the blog later in the semester, so I'm not gonna be able to say it all right now, but please know that we should also long to be beloved fellow servants and faithful ministers of Christ for other people. So please understand something. Ministry is not just for the people up front. We don't put on Superman capes and then go live out our spirituality and you all just applause and cheer for the people who have a microphone and stand on a stage. This is for you. So a challenge for you. Understand it. You are a minister of the gospel. You can live your life for others. And I want to challenge you to long for the ministry that no one sees. Because faithfulness in God's kingdom may not mean success in the world's eyes. And in a world that trains us and, and moves our hearts and minds to want uh, acclaim and want credit and want all of the fame for ourselves, I am begging you, ask God to change that in you that you would be content faithfully serving others even though you might not ever get noticed. Verse nine, we continue in the heart um, to see the heart of Paul's prayer for these people. It says, and so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. <laughs> Never stop praying. 
And, we, and then after that, we get to see what he's asking. So by nature, this is what I've been praying for you this week, but also what you should be praying for others and for yourself. So look at this. This is what he is praying. We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So what are people who have been qualified for this inheritance like? Like this. This is what the kingdom looks like. These people who exude these attributes in their lives. But it's important that you see this because I think sometimes what can happen is we see these things of this prayer and think that these are things we have to do in order to receive God's love. And if you think that, you won't make it. These are things that God wants to do in you as you actively pursue him because he has loved you first. So these are things that we should strive for. These are things that we should stop right now and consider in our own lives. Are we moving toward these things? Or are we moving away from them? So let's briefly look through them. Here's our things that God wants to do in us. Number one, filled with all knowledge of his will in wisdom and understanding. Be filled with his will. It's less about what major you need to do or who you're supposed to date or these other kind of trivial things in life. Not trivial, they're important, but they're not eternal. And more about who you are and your obedience to God's commands. God wants to make you a person who is clear on his will. Some of you are clear on them and continue to rebel against God, and some of you are drowning in the moral insanity of our world and need help. But there's help in Christ, and we can pray this for each other, that we would be filled with this wisdom. The next thing is that we would be people who walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And then we see what this looks like, that we would bear fruit in every good work. A manner worthy of the Lord is to do good works for others. God wants us to be a people who do good. Not only that, increasing in the knowledge of God. To increase in his knowledge. The application here is for us to get in the book. We need to be people who consume God's word. Listen, this is why we preach long sermons on Tuesday night and try to overload you with truth through our blog and our podcasts. We want you to learn and grow and increase in knowledge. Literally, know God is the first part of the mission of what we're trying to equip you to do. So, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthen with his power for endurance and patient joy. To walk worthy is to walk in a way that not only has these qualities, but that you would use your life in a way that you will need them. Here's what I mean. Clearly, if God is calling us to be a people who need endurance and patient joy, then that means a life all out for the kingdom will need endurance and will need patient joy. So endurance, able to withstand hardship with a focus on glorifying God. Patient joy, able to see and trust that God knows all things and that he's working all things out, even the hardest thing in his timing. And since we can't know those things, we get to trust the one who can. And that is what produces joy in us. Imagine. Imagine if we had someone who was in complete control of every detail of everything, who was infinitely good and completely powerful to do everything good for you. Let's imagine that for a moment. And then stop imagining it because it's true. <laughs> That's a real thing. God in Christ for us. He knows all things, completely powerful, completely in control, every little detail. 
working out not only for his glory, but for your good. And we just get to step into that and be completely all in with loving him and loving other people. And then lastly, thankful hearts to the Father. It makes sense that people who live by this kind of faith and this kind of worthiness would be thankful to God for it. And my challenge for you is to sit with this prayer this week and ask God to show you where you lack these things and step out in obedience um, for them. And now we get to celebrate the gospel. Look at verse 13. We are landing the plane back at transferred, okay? So after all these things of prayer, Paul just reminds us, he, meaning Jesus, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. So right here we get a piece of a Colossians-shaped gospel right in front of us. And if you're a Christian, come back with me. I want you to feel these words deep in your bones. You have been delivered. You've been delivered from the domain of darkness and you have been transferred to the kingdom of Jesus. Jesus gives us redemption and forgiveness of sins. Please understand that we are not neutral. There are two kingdoms, the world and Satan and darkness's kingdom and the kingdom of God. And we're all born into the first one and we love it. We love living for ourselves, but if you're in Christ, you have been delivered. You've seen your heart and mind open to the foolishness of all of the sin. And you weren't just delivered from it, you were transferred into the kingdom that never ends. This means you really can step out of what you're stuck in. See, you're not just delivered, you were also transferred. Jesus did not just die, he also rose again. My goodness. Think about whatever struggle you limped in here with and understand, not only have you been delivered from it by forgiveness, you've been given power to say no to it. So if you're in Christ and you keep sinning, it's not because you can't, it's because you won't. And that's so freeing. You've been given power. You're a follower of Jesus. You can say no to things that are killing you and yes to things that give you ultimate joy that lasts forever. Okay, band, come up. Verse 14, here's where it lands. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So I want you to stop right now before we sing, and we're gonna sing. I want you to consider these truths for those of you who do not know Jesus in the room. You need to understand that you are enslaved to your sins and you need redeemed. You need to understand that you are guilty of your sins and you need forgiven. And even if you can't admit this right now, I know that you know it's true. You understand there's something missing, and we're convinced that the gospel is what you need to believe. These needs are not met anywhere else. These longings are not satisfied anywhere else. It's only found in Christ. We want you, and we want all the people, even claim Christ in this room, to stop in your tracks right now and consider the kingdom that we've been invited into. And the response is faith. We claim all over again, Jesus is our savior, Jesus is our Lord, Jesus is our treasure. We step out, and I want you to know, we are here for you every step of the way. So I know if, if, if the Holy Spirit might have done something in you and you're just like, I have no idea what to do now. <laughs> I want you to know there's people here that love you, that are praying for you, and we want to be here for you in this journey. And so for all of us, that's why I get ready to leave the stage, I want you to sing like someone who is actually delivered, actually redeemed, and actually forgiven. So let's stand.